ignition sequence start. Five. Everything. Three. Everything. Sounds. Sounds. This is Everything Sounds. I'm Craig Shank. And I'm George Drake Jr. This is Everything Sounds. At this point, we know at least one person that listens to Everything Sounds listens to us when they're having trouble falling asleep. We're a total snooze fest. (laughs) (laughs) No, not exactly. They claimed it's because we're calming and gentle. (laughs) Which I think is a bit of a stretch. Especially when we're listening to you. Oh, come on. (laughs) But this got us thinking about sleep and the process of falling asleep. Those moments right before you drift off. You're laying down in the darkness... You've got thoughts running through your head. You might hear a car in the distance. Your neighbor's dog starts barking. Maybe the air conditioning kicks on in your house. And of course, that awful ringing in your ears. Ugh, you're right, that's the worst. But it seems like in the dark when you don't have anything visual to distract you and you're not engaged with anything else, those noises seem to grab more of your attention than they normally would. And sometimes they even incorporate themselves into your dreams. We're going to take you to a place in San Francisco that uses sound, space, and darkness to heighten your senses in a way that's similar to when you're going to sleep, but instead you're wide awake and it's much more intense. It's all orchestrated by this man. Well, I'm Stan Schaff and have been involved with my partner Doug McEachern in creating something here in San Francisco called Audium. Stan's involvement with music used to be primarily as a performer. He played the trumpet in orchestras and bands, then he taught music in public schools and colleges, and he explored composition as well. And through his composition and performance, he started to think more deeply about his primary instrument. Uh, Somewhere along the line, it's hard for me to go back when, seems like uh, just yesterday, but I got very involved with writing and uh, seeing what I could do experimentally. And I was always turned on with, with the elements of color and sound and what sounds mean. And of course, the idea of space and the trumpet kind of go hand in hand, because if there's one instrument that's called on, even in traditional symphonic music, occasionally to go off away from the orchestra and play, that induced a thought to me, well, what what about the distance between sounds? And so throughout the years, that became an intriguing idea, space and sound. Uh, What's the connection? Audium is an outgrowth of Stan's interest in the way that sound interacts with the space where it exists and how it can be composed or performed. Audium first developed in the late 1950s and began as a series of concerts in the early 1960s. Stan was helped over the years by a guy named Doug McEachern, who designed one-of-a-kind equipment to control these performances. Even though Audium's been around for decades, it's been through some ups and downs. Stan jokes that early on he was lucky if his mother-in-law would show up. Some nights he just had to go home because no one was there. But now, the generations seem to have caught up with him. A city like San Francisco in the present day is a perfect place for this work. But I I think what's going on now is that uh, people are looking for new perceptions. We're kind of in a new age now. And uh, people aren't hanging on to uh, tradition in a clinging way. There seem to be... uh, willing to kind of explore. And of course, uh, the nature of San Francisco, this is a rather freewheeling city to begin with. But at the same time, um, the idea of 
new worlds and new possibilities is very much in the air now. And I think Audium is probably in that line. It's evolved over time, and today it exists as a performance in a one-of-a-kind theater. Uh, the entire environment here, from the time people enter to the time they leave, are also a part of the work. Matter of fact, in some respects, uh, everything in the building is like a giant organism. I feel that the visual things, the lighting, the way the audience is seated uh, in the environment itself are all elements to be worked on in my work and how I deal with sound. So as you buy a ticket, you start to hear sounds coming from the lobby. You wait in an area with some surreal art, projections, and lighting effects. All the while, different audio clips periodically play through speakers positioned throughout the space. Eventually, the lights darken and Stan appears from behind a curtain to give his introduction. He lets you know that you're going to be in total darkness, but there are going to be markers on the floor to help guide you if you need to leave for any reason. He tells you about the structure of the show, two acts with a five-minute intermission, and he lets you know that you can ask questions at the end. And naturally, he tells you to make sure that your cell phone is off for the duration of the performance. From there, you walk into the space. You notice speakers of all shapes and sizes around the room, and you also probably notice that the room itself is in unusual shape. Many people think that it, it is a, um, um, a dome shape. It really isn't. The, the, all the walls are slanting for, for actually acoustical reasons as much as aesthetic. They're all slanting in to uh, prevent what we call in, in acoustics uh, no standing waves. It's a relatively small space. Now, we'll spare you an incredibly in-depth physics lesson, but the simplest way we can explain this is basically standing waves can be created by sound reflecting off of parallel surfaces. Think of it as a sound wave traveling all the way across the room, bouncing off of a wall, then running back into itself on the way back. That collision causes the waves to combine and that creates a wave that will cause some frequencies to be unintentionally more pronounced and others will be harder to hear. So, back to the space itself. Most auditoriums have rows of seats, you know what I'm talking about, but audio seats are in a spiral arrangement and that aids in Stan's efforts to allow the audience to be more open to other features of the show. And the, the seating is very important to us, too, because we want people to disorient themselves into or give themselves permission to kind of just get wrapped up in this little spiral world, this galaxy, off into no man's land. After you take a seat, you'll soon notice the lights slowly fading and everything goes black. Early on, when we first started in, darkness was an absolute because we wanted, we wanted people to explore their listening space. Sitting there in the dark, you can't be drawn away by anything except the sound and your own imagination. And, uh, and so when you come to something like Audium, you're kind of retreating back into something that's very primordial. And because uh, when the lights go down and it's out, it gets you into a whole, there's no other place, but you're hearing, that's where you're at.
I recognize that all sounds have meaning, have structure, have emotional impact. It's just the moment that you have that, that sound might be organized that it takes on meaning. I mean, it's kind of like looking at a door. Ordinarily, if a door slams, you say, well, okay, it slams. But if it slams at certain times in our lives, it can have a heck of a lot of meaning in it. Well, audium sets you up in a way that any sound can then become something interesting. So there you are, sitting in complete darkness, presumably with a few dozen total strangers, and the show begins. Then you start to really grasp what Stan mentioned. Any sound can and does become something interesting in audio. Audium is the result of years of adjustments and ideas. The roots of Audium isn't in the current building or anything even resembling a theater or auditorium. Stan started developing the concept a little bit closer to home, or actually in his home. We started out literally in my own home, uh, wiring up the place uh, with several speakers so the sound would pop around. And it became, it was just intriguing to us, the idea what when you move the sound, what, what happens to it? Does it change, does it alter? Does the coloration of a, let's say, our uh, set of tones, like a harmony, does it change the elements of the, what that feels like when you move it? They started taking their idea, along with eight or nine speakers, into the world, and they've been dialing it in and expanding it ever since. Uh, but then we learn by doing. Uh, when we did something, the audience, maybe people would come out and say, gee, I didn't get enough sound this way or that way. And so Doug and I would get together and say, well, how can we meet that need? Uh, I remember one time of someone was saying, well, I don't feel the sound in my face or I want it to feel under me and I want it all over. And so we adjusted our locations of speakers and, and learned, I learned how to compose in certain ways of using panning devices in the studio. But then the board itself became uh, the board that Doug built. I might add, this is the eighth board. I've done eight major compositions. Well, this is the eighth board we've gone through. We're constantly adjusting that board to fit new ways of, of realizing the motion of sound under my fingers. Stan says that his current console is a complicated series of switching and panning devices and altogether involves 58 pages of schematics. Stan works with four tracks and distributes those tracks to the 176 speakers he's divided up into about five layers. Some speakers are under chairs, others are at ear level, some are in the walls, and even on the ceiling. And just to add another layer of complexity, Stan uses different types of speakers to accomplish different goals. The speakers here are, we think of as instruments. And you'd be amazed that the quality of some of those are hardly uh, hi-fi. Uh, but we use them more as almost like a filter network. So as I move the sound, I take advantage of really narrow frequency speakers. Uh, some are folded horns, some are um, very almost tweeter-like, but they're used very carefully. And don't forget, Stan is in complete darkness along with you while he's controlling the elements of the show. You might wonder how he can know what he's doing or where everything is if he can't see it. He thinks of the console like any other instrument. 
Uh, it, took a while, it took a long time for me to really literally in the dark memorize where everything is. But it's kind of like playing the piano. If you know how to play the piano, uh, you can play it in the dark. You know, you, the, the layout of the keyboard and the like uh, becomes uh, instinctual. And that's the way the board is for me now. However, that being said, whenever I do a new work, I might, you know, accentuate a little bit of light for myself, but uh, there are ways of us lighting inside there so the audience is unaware of it. Craig, at this point, surely there are some people that are thinking this might seem to be targeting a certain demographic. What do you mean by that? Well, think about it. Bright lights in the lobby, surreal sounds, enhancing sensory experiences, you see? All right, okay, okay. You're thinking this is aimed at people that are interested in certain mind-altering substances. I, I'm, not, I'm not judging. It's fine. I'm just saying it makes sense. Uh, actually, it doesn't. In the beginning years, uh, there were some difficulty with some people because of the, we, I happened to start, and I have nothing at all to do with it, during the time of the drug culture in San Francisco, the whole Haight-Ashbury thing was just beginning when we first started it, which you had nothing to do with. And so, of course, we've had people come by that, that have been on stuff. And this doesn't work at all. Audium is not meant for that at all. Even a little wine is too much. Audium does a good job of transporting you elsewhere without any help. And for some people, it might even go too far. Some are off into the ethers. They go off into the world. Wow, I was surprised me. And then others, as I said, can't wait to leave. <laughs> it could be both ways. You know, I, I might say this in all honesty. This world is, is kind of an unusual one that uh, some people might be a little bit uncomfortable with it. You know, the darkness is not everybody's cup of tea. Matter of fact, we don't allow children in because the, the darkness sometimes is a little bit frightening. Regardless of whether a person's experience is positive or not, Audium will still make them feel something. It's one of the few performances where the space actually becomes an active piece of the composition, and it's also something that Stan would like to see more composers utilize in the future. I've said to my audiences that come out here, you have music, you have melody, harmony, and rhythm, and now space. That's going to be in Harvard's Dictionary of Music as, and defined as an element in the compositional toolbox. Statements like that which make Stan and the Audium experience unique and endearing. There's always more to consider, new ideas to try, and something to look forward to. Uh, it's an infinite world, you know, and particularly when you kick this doorway open, because it hasn't been tried. It's like you've suddenly discovered a whole new orchestral plane to work with. Audium and Stan's approach can even lead you to learn something new about yourself. He's had audience members come back to Audium and tell them that it was a completely different world for them. I have people always coming back here and as a remembrance, and they, uh, they think one thing out. They, matter of fact, even people who hear the same work say, did you change the work? I said, no, you've changed. <laughs> you can find links to learn more about Audium on our website, everythingsounds.org. There we also have information on how you can hear us on radio stations around the country on Public Radio Remix from PRX. If you enjoy learning about places such as Audium and the role sound plays in our lives, 
consider becoming an Everything Sounds audiophile. You can chip in what you'd like, and your contributions will help us keep the show going. Craig and I are the only two people involved in making the show, and even though we give them to you for free to download and stream, they aren't free to produce. So decide what the show is worth to you, and you'll get access to bonus episodes and other content at everythingsounds.org. Everything Sounds is part of the Mule Radio Syndicate. Find out more about Mule at muleradio.net. Until next time, I'm George Drake Jr. And I'm Craig Shank. This has been Everything Sounds. <laughs>